I'm going to start with a question. I'd like to hear from you guys, you know, like conformed to his image. What are you hearing? Like, what is that for you? What does that mean? Conformed into his image. He wants to share what that is. So not, when I say for you, I don't mean as if you're different from the next person. When he says he's going to conform you into his image, what is he saying? Hold on, hold on. All things to all people. Okay, all things to all people. Who wants to, who wants to share? That we will become literally him on earth. So becoming like him in nature, character, power. Cool. Anyone else want to add on that? It's nice and simple. <laughs> you should be on the panel, mate. <laughs> is, it okay? is, it, is it okay for me? I'm of course here. it is. Yeah, of course. I think one great one is um, to become Christ-like. Great. Literally become Christ-like. Oh, just to become his um, representative or ambassador on earth. And to reflect him. And all that requires a process, doesn't it? So it's like we start out as children and then just like in any natural physical format, you know, you have a child and the child grows into the image of who the child's to become. So there's this literal process of being conformed. What would, what would 500 Christians look like that were actually in this process to the measure of being matured over time? What do you think? What, do you, what would a church look like if that was the case over time, knowing that we're all on different stages of that? But what would, what would 10 years of that look like for a church on the earth? Put your hand up and Sam will give you a mic. I was just going to ask something. Sweet. Hold the question. Any takers? A light, a light in the darkness. Great. Power flying, flowing through the people and flying. <laughs> um, a church where we abandon self and we have learnt to trust them completely. Can we see it? Can you see yourself in it? I'll answer the previous question and then and then go into the next one. <laughs> uh, I think ultimately it, it looks like it looks like love, and it looks like a love that can't be done from a human form, and therefore it's looked at as how how is that possible? I'm not very good at putting words to that, but that's kind of how I see it. And yeah, I feel fully. Like I can see that reality and I'm definitely on that journey with him. Um, but that involves complete circumcision of the heart and removal of that flesh and sin nature and coming into the reality of um, 
of 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 him and actually what it means my identity actually is in him and all of those things being poured in and then lived out of. Very cool. The Lord just reminded me something you said, Greg, um, during our journey as a family, as a rock. You've, I remembered you said heaven on earth, heaven inside of us being demonstrated on earth. And I've also reminded God lives in heaven. So therefore heaven, when I say heaven on earth, heaven inside of us. That was to the previous question and the next one. Because heaven's an eternal place, isn't it? And the one from heaven is eternal life, Jesus. So if eternal life is within us, then we have the ability to live out eternal life on earth now. It's, it's incredible. This is good. Anyone else want to add to that? Jackie. You go, you go. Do you want to go first, Jackie? Tag team, mate. <laughs> um, I just wanted to answer the very first one with the word that I got as soon as you said, what does it look like to be conformed to his image was just death, like just a complete dying to self, um, which kind of feels scary, you know, when you think death. It feels like a negative word, but in this connotation... It's death that's so filled with life. Um, And that's what's so exciting when you talk about what the church looks like then is a church filled with life, like a church that is filled with love. Like someone said, in a church where there's no offence and there's no agendas and there's no singular motivation, like it's a church that's moving forward for his will in him for his glory. And it just feels like that overcoming, powerful... Like, I want to be there. <laughs> but it requires death. <laughs> I love also well, um, what Jess was just saying and how, you know, we're called to be a set-apart people and and it, it leaves people looking at her, at the bride, and being like, whoa, like, what is, what is that? And that question that comes up in us and it's like, how can you love when someone's spitting in your face or how can you how how are you calm in the midst of the storm how you know and it's I love that it's that that set apart people that can and that living from that reality that can only come when we when we know him and I know that's what drew me um to him where I'm like he calls us beyond anything that can be accomplished on this on this earth and a love that truly is love that no matter what comes back at you, you know, you can you can overcome and you can love and yeah, that set apart people. Um, I think if you you have a church that knows him as being conformed into his image, then they know his purpose for the church to be the body and therefore their part in it. And if you've got a church that's um, all on board with that, then you're not going to have people that are competing with each other that are constantly comparing each other to themselves but just being the part that they've been called to be. 
um, and not feeling like they should be something else or that, you know, I'm not prophesying or I'm not, like, up the front singing, but just being secure in who they are in that. I just um, thought about this morning with Mel and what Mel was saying, and it just there was something sort of bubbling up in me, and I, I probably don't have the words yet, but it's around what we're talking about. Just in the completeness, you've got all the different bits, and the completeness of us all being individuals but being completed in a body, functioning as a body, it's just, it's this, yeah, I don't know, I just see this picture of this organism like like a physical body moving in perfect harmony with where Father's taking us, everybody connected, and if someone's not quite connected, then the person next to them is connecting and, and drawing in and we're working together and it's just the most beautiful thing and people will see and be just drawn to us because they'll see this living, alive body and they'll want to know what on earth is going on because it's nothing of what's happening in the world. We, yeah. So I saw, that, I saw that from that prophetic word that Mel spoke this morning. I think like Vera said, there was a lot of prophetic things spoken this morning, but just particularly that aspect of being complete. Which is what Paul said in, the, in Colossians 1.29. He says, I strive according to the power that's working in me to make you complete. So he saw it and knew why he was given life and the, re- the reason of an apostle, his apostolic call was to present a church complete, spotless and blameless. And it's, a distant, it's cool, just all the things are linking because, you know, we can't be that unless we die because the old man needs to be dead. And it's very hard when you can't see the, the new man and what he's wanting to make the new man into, meaning us as one, you know, because it's a relinquishing of life. It's a relinquishing of the life you were given with to let go and lay hold of the life that you actually called for before the foundation of the earth. And that's why, you know, unless every one of us chooses to go on that journey, you'll get half the people, a quarter of the people, 10% of the people. So we'll only be it as a whole if we all decide to go there. And that's what makes the challenge because if half the room say yes and we say no, then we won't be this body that we're talking about. Because they say, yes, they're going to die to self and we hang on to self. You know? And it's the challenge of dreams that you may have had that you're still wanting that may just be your dreams but not his dreams have to die because you're no longer saying I'm going to live as an individual. I'm living for the greater team. I'm going to play my part in the team. I'm living for something way bigger than me in the life I was given. And that's the wrestle. That's why people struggle. Because it's like, but this is my life. No, it's not. Life is a gift. And yet with the gift, you can hang on to the gift or give the gift back to the giver of the gift to truly find life. And that's the wrestle because in all of this, we're all in different relationships. We're all, you know, in different, finds ourselves in different uh, states of being. And 
what do you do when other people don't want to go with you? Keep going. You know, you honour the Father like Jesus did. You know, his mum and dad, where did you think I was going to be? I'm in my father's house. You know, that could be very offensive to his mum and dad. You know, and so while it's all being outworked, it's incredible. It's incredible who we've been called to be. And God's been showing me this week, and I'm writing a lot at the moment, around form of godliness and godliness. You know, and he warned uh, the Israelites in Deuteronomy 4. He said, because you can't see me, I warn you not to make for yourselves a graven image because you can't see me. So you make up me in your image. And we can do exactly that. We have a form of God. We have a form of godliness, but it's powerless. It's lifeless. It, it, it looks the part, but it can't live the part. And when it's called to, it fails. It's not that we're a failure, but the, this life, we're still trying to live out of the old man. And the old man can't cover someone's offence. The old man smacks offence. Is, is that why you talk about Absolutely, Warren. It's the key. So we're going to look at tonight, wisdom. Two wisdoms. Wisdom of the world, former godliness. Wisdom of God, godliness. It's through revelation. So Thanks, guys. That was cool. That was the most engagement we've had, mate, eh? <laughs> oh, well, we might uh, transition back into this, our opportune moments throughout the night, you know, so be on the ready. All right, so like Greg um, alluded to, we're going to be looking at First Corinthians tonight, and it's a pretty epic segue into um, the passage that we're going to be unpacking. Um, last week we talked about... Um, we talked about um, spiritual knowledge and wisdom, um, and um, we, 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 we didn't detour, we just took the scenic route last week um, and ended up talking about things like prayer, which really did actually tie into what it is that God was bringing to light in terms of what his wisdom is and what it means to live from that wisdom. Um, but we thought it would be worth unpacking this in a bit more detail. Um, so if you've got your Bible, you can turn to First Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to go from verse 17 uh, through to verse 31. So I'll just read this out. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would, be not, uh, would not be made void. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in, this, uh, in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
For consider, consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many mo- noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom and sanctification. Wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. Interesting passage, eh? About a heavenly and divine wisdom. Um, and um, our awesome crew are going to unpack this um, a little bit this evening. We're going to focus on what this wisdom is, this wisdom from above that Paul talks about that is very different to how you would normally hear the word wisdom defined. Um, Paul talks about a kind of wisdom, and he goes on in chapter 2 to talk about this wisdom being in the form of a demonstration um, of Christ's life and power operating within him. Um, so we're going to unpack this, um, what what this heavenly wisdom is uh, this evening, starting at verse 17, um, and we'll see uh, where we as a, as a team get to. Cool? Sweet as. All right, so verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would but not be made void. Greg, do you want to kick us off uh, with verse 17? Sure. Um, I think the, the, the first thing to realise is, as Sam's is saying, there's, so there's these two wisdoms. So there's the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of God, and they're very different. And the way to the wisdom of God is obviously through this thing called the cross, which is, as we've been talking about, it's death to something and life to something. So there's no way we can access the wisdom of God while we're still living in our old man. He cannot resurrect someone who's living. He resurrects dead people. And so the challenge is, is this, this in, in, in the wisdom of man, we appeal to men's women's, humankind's minds, because the mind is the stronghold. The mind is the, is the strength of man. We think that through the acquiring of information, knowledge, that gives us power, and if we're powered, then we have value, and then people in the world will use that power to keep themselves in power, and we use it to lord over people, because we think the mind is the place of understanding. That's the wisdom in the world, and it's right as far as operating if you're in the world. So if you want to study how this is made, you would use the wisdom of the world. But if you want to access the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God works and who he is and who you are in it, you need a brand new wisdom. And it doesn't come in understanding in the mind. And so Paul is saying, I don't come with cleverness of speech. I don't come to appeal to your mind. I don't come to appeal to logic, reason, or rationale. That's not the way. In fact, what I'm going to say is going to sound stupid. It's going to sound foolishness. So the gospel is not this 10 steps to a better life. It's not something about having a modified being. The gospel kills the old man with the old nature 
who still wants to live, who kicks and screams because he wants to live. He wants to have his way. And so Paul's saying, I don't come. That's how I used to come as Saul. So I used to come knowing the law. I was from a tribe of Benjamin. I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a scholar. And I presented the Torah, the instruction of God. But the man was living quite opposite to how he should have been living because he was operating from the wisdom of the world. But he's understanding this. This is what I love about him. If you, I, I wrote Imitate Me to help us understand what I believe is the greatest person who was flesh and spirit and to look at his process because Saul is flesh. Paul is spirit. We are all born fleshy. So how do we come into this spirit, this wisdom of God? Well, he is a beautiful example of how did he go from being Saul to Paul. And the more you know about him and the more you understand his letters, he's telling you how he went from Saul to Paul. Um, And so he's basically saying this, you know, Christ did not send me to baptize, um, but to preach the gospel to preach this message of power, which is very simple. But it, I don't come to appeal to your mind. It's not something I'm trying to win you to in the sense of I'm trying to convince you of something. I come in the demonstration. So my life, he's saying, is the demonstration of the gospel. Jesus' life was the demonstration of the gospel. It's the ability, like we talked about, to live something, not answer something not figure out the answers like you would out of the wisdom of the world, get all the answers right, and think you've got it. So you can answer every question in the book you can be asked and not be able to live out a gospel life because it's not about answering questions, it's about the demonstration of the gospel. And this is what finds us out. So he's saying, I'm not coming to appeal to your mind, I'm not coming to appeal to this, I'm just going to say it as it is, I'm going to keep it real simple, But because I've gone and I'm going through the process called Christ, Christ crucified, when I speak, what's coming out of me is the gospel that can actually crucify you. (laughs) And this is why some people deny the power and only have a form of godliness. Because we actually aren't ready for it. We're not ready for the power that's going to come to crucify sometimes our old man that's still living. An old mindset that's still in us. He goes, no, I'm going to set you free. How am I going to set you free? Through the cross, through the power of this resurrected life. Because what is the cross? The cross is death to life. All done through the power of God, not through man's ability to come into something. So we can't come into this through the intellect. The Spirit will renew our minds to open up what happened, but it's a whole different way. So he's basically saying, you know, don't... I'm not going to come with these nice words, this cleverness. It's not about a modification. I'm not appealing. I'm coming with revelation. So the, the, the tree of uh, life and death, help me, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Thank you. Um, its root system is dead, isn't it? So although it produces good things, its root system is still dead. So it's the wisdom of the world. I'm not coming like that. I'm coming from this other tree called the tree of life, which is the tree of revelation. So not reason, rationale, and logic, not appealing to that. I'm coming straight after the spiritual through revelation. Mm. 
And it's interesting that Paul, that Paul is, he's so big on it, eh, that he says, you know, not in cleverness of speech so that the cross of Christ may not be made void, you know. That's a pretty powerful statement that he's saying, look, if I was just coming with clever speech, I could actually make void the cross of Christ, you know. And I don't think that he's saying that he can undo what Christ did on the cross. But I think what he's, what he's saying is that if we are just communicating in natural earthly words, I could even, you know, I think Paul was an incredible intellect and he was very articulate, even poetic sometimes in his, in his writings, but he knew that that was not enough to bring this eternal life and this power on the inside that he's describing. Eh? And I think that that's the, the, the danger of articulate words is that you can hear a, a, even, for example, a typology and you can think, man, I get that, you know, I get the typology, I get what he's trying to say. I can even make the link between the natural typology and the spiritual um, truth that's, that he's trying to, to unveil. And yet he's saying that actually cleverness, to, even, to be clever in speech in that way, you might even leave understanding in your mind what I'm trying to say. But the cleverness of speech has still left you void of life and power that you actually haven't transitioned, like Greg was saying, from, from death into life. Eh? And it's interesting, I just think of like so often, and you know, Jesus was such a, a storyteller, you know, and he'd tell these parables. There's a couple of real interesting instances where he, he's talking to the Pharisees and he's like, "Let me tell you a let me tell you a um, let me tell you a parable," and he's telling this parable and they are totally with him all the way along and then he gets to the punchline and it's all of a sudden, "Oh, the the parable is about me." <laughs> And they transition between, yes, we agree with you, to all of a sudden the, the parable has gone from more than just clever speech to now the sword of God is coming to penetrate your hearts as all of a sudden they've heard that, they've heard the word of God that's more than just clever, articulate words. But what he's saying has now transitioned to actually I've got to now repent based on what I've heard, because what is, what's, what's been presented is a greater life and reality than what I'm currently in. And, and they are now called to this ultimate moment where either they're going to accept what he has to say and repent and let go of their human understanding, which has left them void of life, um, and accept what it is that he's saying or, or not, you know? And yet clever speech can't take someone to that place of repentance. Only the word of God can, hey. Um, and so Paul in his preaching, there was something that was, the word was bigger than just the well-articulated presentation of the words. Um, there was something much more powerful that, that lay behind it. Eh? So. And there's too much at stake. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because like what we talked about before, you know, I, I said, what, what does it look like for 500 people to be this church? Mm. Well, what's the weight of that, which is the, the cross and the Word of God? So that the Word of God is the way that that becomes a reality. And so when you read just before this, he's talking to these Corinthians that are they're in division. You know, So he says, you say you're of this guy, you say you're of that guy, you say you're of that guy. That's not one. And the reason why is because you're using man's wisdom to try and enter into this reality. And he says this, you know, he says, um, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree. <laughs> that you all agree. There you go. That there be no divisions among you, 
but that you be made, Liz, complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. And then he goes and he says, you know, you're of Apollos. You say you're of Peter. You say you're of Paul. You say you're of Christ. Is Christ divided? What are we doing? And so you can see him coming to this Corinthian church and seeing the wisdom of man operating in the church. And it's no different to the church today, you know, because, you know, I, you could put denominations here. You say you're of that denomination. You say you're of that denomination. What's that? We're all to be of one. We're all to be of the same mind. Well, how do we actually all have the same mind when we don't? You know, we all start off with mindsets, and he says, you're to have my mind. And you're all to think like I think. So what's the way to that? Well, it's not that wisdom because that creates division. You know, fighting over who do you think's better than the other. Well, I like the way Sam says it. Well, I like the way Mal says it. Well, I don't like the way Greg says it at all. Or whatever that looks like, do you know? It's like, no, no, this, this, this wisdom takes us all into Christ. And at the end of the day, they say, actually, it doesn't matter if you're of this person or that person. Let's, let's see this Christ-likeness modelled and demonstrated through your life, you know, to not just say the right words and be part of the right clique, but to live the right way, hey, you know. I think it brings us to the fact that this is not, um, while, while we're talking about the word of the cross, it's actually the work of the cross that's the key because you can hear words and and it all be natural hearing and and that's what we're talking about if it's naturally hearing naturally discerning then usually all that does is puff up because it becomes knowledge and then you're pitting yourself against other people and you're comparing yourself and it's it's all this old way but the 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 power of of the cross is 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 a, a power that changes you, and it's the only power that is greater than our sinful nature. It's the only power that sets us free from us. So we can spend our whole lives trying to modify our own lives and getting frustrated. And he's saying, "Why are you doing that?" Because actually, this word is going to deal to the very thing that you've been trying to modify and it's it's going to kill it because that's not who you are and that's that's why I came because if you could do that you would have done it in however many years you've had you know it's not going to happen but it's the work of the cross and the work of the cross we always see as the this death but you know, even he, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. So that's why it, it's like that, that having the, the seeking of, of the Lord to reveal what is it that he has before us. Because opening our eyes to what it's for enables us to, to receive and surrender and submit to that because we see that he is coming as a loving father who actually has an end goal in mind and there's life you know it's not all death 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 because when we're thinking just death 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 it just means we're we're holding fast to our flesh and we don't actually realize who we are and 
and instead of that, he's saying, this is power, guys. This is power over the very thing that you might have spent your whole life trying to modify. And, and you know, it's either, it, it's like that, that word that it's either a stumbling block. He's either a stumbling block or he's a cornerstone. And it's like, you know, he was talking to me about this this last week. You know, when, when that word comes and that cross comes, you either receive it, you either trip over it because you're blind and you can't see and you're stumbling over it, or as you bow down and you relinquish um, your control, it actually becomes what you're built on, you know? And it, it's a, an entirely different thing because um, you're now no longer looking to the source, to source life, you know? And you realise that this wisdom cannot come from the earth. Every wisdom that comes from the earth is demonic. That's what it says in James 3. But he talks about this wisdom that comes from above. You know, well, how are we going to receive that? Well, it's not through us being clever, you know. It's, it's through us being humbled, you know, so, so that he's confounded. And I love the way um, Jesus said, I was just reading the other day, it happens several times, but Luke 10, 21, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. And he talks about, because, Father, you have hidden <laughs> these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. And that's that whole, you know, poor in spirit thing. It's the setup that God's done on purpose because the wisdom of, of the wise, it turns into this religious thing where we honour him with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. And he's actually wanting access to our heart to do this inner work. Well, I think that brings us pretty... Rapidly to verse 18, <laughs> which to me is probably the, the key kind of clincher of, of this passage. And it says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So I don't know if you want to kick us off, Greg, about why, this, why is this word foolishness? It's just opposite to what you think. So it's like everything in him is the right way round because we're all back to front because we're born back to front. So, you know, it's like you, you're presented with something and because you're still, you could be still fleshly on it, you look at it and go, no, that can't be it. Because it is, it's like death, to, to, it's what Jackie was saying, death to life. What? Isn't it life to life? No, no, it's lose to gain. No, when you lose, you lose. You know, it's like you don't gain when you lose in the world, you lose. But you're telling me I gain if I lose. Nah, that's crazy, mate. Well, you're nutter. And so because it's from another realm, because it's a spiritual word, it's not of earth, it's not temporal. So Jesus is eternal. His word is spirit and life. It comes from another place, but it's on earth because he said, I bring my kingdom with me. But my kingdom is back to, well, it's the right way round, but you're back to front. So I've come to rescue out of your darkness to bring you into my light to turn you the right way round. Mm. 
But if you're trying to understand his spiritual kingdom through your physical lens, you'll never get it and it will appear foolishness. So that's wisdom, the cross, being ripped apart and almost ripped into... You're telling me that's wisdom? Now let me tell you what wisdom is. And so, you know, he says there, he says, I'm going to destroy the wisdom of the wise. It doesn't look like it. So nothing in God to the natural looks like it, but it is. And that's why it's so bizarre for us, because you're like... So until our inner being falls on that rock and that gets broken and you actually allow him to start redefining it because you say no. You actually reject the way because it doesn't make sense. But it makes perfect sense here. So there's the logic of God and then there's the logic of man. It's very logical for God for what happened. It's not logical for man. Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not mine. So none of us, none of us, until we get revelation, have his ways, have his thoughts. Mm. Yeah. You can convince yourself and think you do, but it's not whether you think you do, it's whether you live like him. Mm. Yeah. So if you live like him, you have his mindset. Yeah. If you don't love like him, you don't have his mindset. You could technically tell me all the aspects of love, mm. but not love. Yeah. What's the point of that? Mm. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's completely opposite. Yeah. And I think even, you know, it talks about it, that, that, that this message of the cross is foolish, you know, and I think, you know, it's, it's foolish in the, in the sense that it doesn't make sense to the natural mind, but I think it's also the message of the cross is deeply offensive if you hear it through, a, you know, a fleshly or a natural mind, you know. And I've just been thinking about, you know, the, the Israelites and um, in Acts I think it's Stephen gives this big summary, you know, and he says that these Israelites were enslaved and mistreated for 400 years, you know. So here's, here's a people who have been treated like the scum of the earth, you know, for all of this time, and God rescues them out of Egypt and brings them out into the wilderness and then starts to teach them and talk to them about their freedom being more than just physical release, but their freedom is actually in the letting go of themselves, you know? And for someone who is carrying um, a victim mentality or hurt, when you're confronted by the message of the cross that comes and says, actually, that the biggest issue is not the situation around you, the biggest problem is actually you, you know? That... It's, it's not only foolish, it is absolutely downright offensive, you know, because you are so convinced that what you need is for someone else to change or for the situation around you to change. And only if that was just to happen, then you would be better and you'd be okay, you know. But the message of the cross is actually if you are set free from you, then you can be to other, you know, you can be to God and you can be to others everything that you need to be in that situation and you don't need for the world around you to change, you know. Yeah. Uh, Tess and I watched a real interesting movie last night. It was a bit slightly on the graphic side for our liking, but it's called um, 10 Years a Slave. I don't know if anyone's seen that. Um, we had to fast forward a few scenes. <laughs> But here's, here's a guy who was a free man and he was taken from being free and kidnapped and placed in slavery. And he was determined his, this whole time that he was going to be free. 
And his ultimate freedom, you see throughout the whole movie, it's a powerful movie, you know, um, awesome movie of a guy who eventually found his freedom. But the world loves, like, movies and messages like that where someone is is physically and literally set free from physical slavery and finds this ultimate place of what they think is freedom. But here's a, here's a story that I just couldn't help but think it was so far from the, the fragrance of the divine life that we are called to, you know, that a man was so set on this one thing that he, if he was to be physically freed from his oppressors that he would find what it ultimately was that he was looking for. And yet, where's the, the message of the gospel cuts across all of that and says, actually, your ultimate freedom is not getting out of here. Your ultimate freedom is being able to love the person who is mistreating you, you know? And so I'm not saying that it's not, I'm not endorsing slavery, but what I'm saying is that the gospel preached to someone who's in a position like that, that's trying to find freedom through um, everything going right, Ultimately, when confronted with this message, like the Israelites who have been enslaved and mistreated for 400 years, and the lens is put up to their own heart, and the message of the cross and the message of the gospel comes, it's deeply offensive, and yet it's the very word of life that would set them free from them and bring them into a greater freedom than what they may have even thought was was possible. So... Not only is it a foolish message, it's an offensive message, but it's a very message that we need to hear that, that brings life and eternal life within us. Hey? I mean, you know, I think, I'll give you another example. It's like family is a classic. So do you think spiritual family is more important than physical family? To live for spiritual family, is that what we should be doing or living for physical family as your number one primary goal? So then you have to really look at yourself and go, so do I live for spiritual family? Do I prioritise spiritual family ahead of natural family? And there's tension in this because sometimes God will say to you, you need to sit with your natural family but that's actually being spiritual. But one of the greatest idols is family. You know, and Jesus confronted this head on. You know, blessed are the breasts that nurse you. No. What? No. Not at all. How offensive might that have been if you'd been Mary? Your brothers and sisters at no no, my brothers and sisters are these guys. The ones that do the will of my father are my family, not my natural. Now, the natural do the will of the father, awesome, and that's the goal, isn't it? We want, I want Danielle, Madeline, and Lily doing and living the will of the father. But that doesn't mean they are going to. That doesn't mean because they turn up here they do. At all. It could be that I'm living completely separate to them spiritually and I'm prioritising, or the other way around, they are prioritising God over me. And this is one of the greatest challenges. Wisdom, what? No, it's all about family, man. It's all about natural family. I got told when I had my kids, I would never experience love like it. Never did. Because I had another love in me which was greater than that. You won't know yourself when you have your kids. Your life will change. Never has. 
Meaning, sure, you got to get up early, you got to change nappies, but my life hasn't changed. I'm not intensely in love with these kids. That loves his, which separated me from the very reality that most people were telling me. And they look at me like, are you normal? No, I hope not. <laughs> and this wisdom, see, we're like, what? Oh, no, no, we're putting bloodline first. Blood is thicker than water, isn't it? Isn't spirit thicker than blood? Christ's blood is. That's right. And that's what defines it. That's right. That's what defines it. This is, this is not natural. This is not physical. This is not temple. You start talking like this, this is crazy. You're going to put a stranger ahead of your bloodline. What are you doing? Oh, well, I'm in love with someone. And because I'm in love with him, I can. It's not that like I even try to. It just is an outcome of being in love. But I love the stranger and my daughters exactly the same. I love my wife like I love you. Why? Because the love that I have for her and you is the same because it's not Greg's love. Now, I know my wife more than I know you, and I have a greater intimacy with my wife than you, but that doesn't mean I love you less than my wife because the love in which I love mankind is not me. It's the love imparted in me that enables me to not see favorites, but to just love, to the measure that I'm in that love. Now, is that the foolishness of the world? People look at you like, what are you going on about? And then all of a sudden, these verses that we've been looking at, let's say, if you don't hate your, your mother, your brother, even your own life, you're not able to be my disciple, hey, you know? And it's interesting that he, that he doesn't say, if you don't hate slavery and gay marriage and, you know, all of these things, racism, that we can easily make it about. He, he, he goes right to the, the most deepest places of our hearts, which can be some of the most subtle kinds of idolatry, you know, is often found in, in things like family, you know? And so I think that's why Jesus is addressing the most natural, normal, but right and good relationships that we should invest into and that are important, but saying, actually, th- this is not about those things as a first place priority, you know, it's about me and, and, and drawing a, an absolute divide and a line in the sand between what is heavenly and eternal and what is natural temporary passing and it's going to die away hey and again um you know on those two counts the the israelites as slaves and they've been in that slavery and this whole thing about family see the freedom is a much greater one than just a physical getting out of 400 years of slavery we're talking about getting out of the the slavery of the fall of man, you know, and being restored to what it was before the fall of man, and 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 even beyond that, that we read about, written down, the 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 knowledge and the calling that was is ours and in, in the heart of the Father before He even made the earth. And how he calls us citizens of heaven, so we come from a different we come from a different realm. So thank you. Um, 
So all of all of the when he reveals that that empowers the right the right priorities because now you see it's a it's a much much bigger um, and and your identity is in something else because it's bigger than what is now and in this this short period of time when I'm in a tent body like this, you know, and all the relationships and the careers and the the whatevers that are going on that time there that they are just an outworking and a time to get to know him and get to know who we really are um, because that all started well before. So it puts everything, it's much bigger, the, the release is much bigger than we'd ever know. Um, but he, he, this is why he needs to reveal that to us and that's what this, this, these words, the, this wisdom that comes from above um, has the power to do that. And, you know, Jesus said, come to me. He didn't say, come to my words. He said, come to me. And, and th- this is, you know, it's not separated out. When, when we're yoked to him and he is eternal and, and he is speaking, then we're, we're made into, into oneness with him. And he starts to transform us, and and then this process is is outworked as we mature, you know, and we walk with him and learn from him, and are starting to hear what he's saying in in a man, and releasing and allowing him to have access to do the changing and the the stuff. We come into who we actually are. So why he says, "Seek first, not yourself." not wanting to be a mum and a dad, not a job, but seek first his kingdom, the king and righteousness. The challenge is none of us do. <laughs> I haven't met one person that started seeking first God. It's we seek first me. And then you realise that don't work. And then all of a sudden he comes into your life and now there's a whole transformation that needs to occur called seek first me. And so that's why he's got to build us. That's why he's got to break us because it's like we make, we've made ourselves. But there's no eternal value in that. We think there is, but there's not. So he has to break all that down and he has to make us into his image because we've built stuff in our own image or we've built him in our image. So I love what Chris said the other week. You know, He wants to make us into his image and we want to make him into our image. We tell him how it's going down. And so he says, no, no, there's a seeking first, a number one, a position that's first that must come into you so then I can start going to work because there's all these areas of life that I need to give you my mind on. Otherwise, you'll be continuing turmoil. And that's what, he's not trying to be horrible. He's not trying to be bad. He's not trying to be a killjoy. He's not trying to ruin your fun. He's trying to get us to see who we've been created to be. So then we can live the way we've been created to live because we're out of design when we're born. We're in turmoil. We're in darkness. We think we are, but we don't. There's a way that seems right to Greg Simnel, but it's not. But I believe it is. And I'm convinced it is. And this is what's poisoned mankind. You know, I'm right. You're wrong. So don't even try to, I'm right. Even if you'd prove, I'm still right. 
And that, that nature needs to be broken. And so there's a seeking first. And all of a sudden you start to see, you know, it's like money. You know, you start seeing as he sees. Family, you start seeing as he sees. Love, how he does everything. Ah, oh, and when you can see it, you run into it. And that's when it becomes simple. It's just beautiful then. It's like, oh, of course, let's just flow together. But it's foolishness to others. And my good mate Tim, love him to bits. You know, he had a heart attack a year and a half ago. His heart's out of rhythm. But Christ is still foolish. He calls me my little friend. <laughs> and we talk at the gym, we train and we talk, and yeah, your mate, he's doing you good, but you know, it's foolishness. I'm like, bro, you could die. Oh, well, take my gamble. It's foolishness. So even an offer of life and eternal life, and it doesn't matter how great it is to me and how much I say it, he hears foolishness. That oh, sounds good, but he, do you want him? Nah. What do you mean you don't want him? See, because the Spirit's not moving on his heart. You know, It's like the Holy Spirit has to come and draw a man to himself. So I'm moving with the Holy Spirit. Even that can be foolishness in the church. No, you've got to get out there. Get out there no matter what. So it's funny. We can even think ways of God are foolishness in the church. No, no, it's being led by the Spirit of God. No, certainly God wants everyone saved. Well, does he? What about the ones that have been chosen for wrath? Where's that? I thought God wanted everyone saved. Well, yeah, that's one scripture, but what about all the other scriptures? The fact that we've been chosen for mercy, not wrath. That should make us praise. And now we're, all, we're in division in the body going, well, I believe. No, I don't believe. No, I don't. Yeah? And so now we're back in 1 Corinthians 1. Well, I'm of Sam now because I like what Sam says, but I don't like what Greg said. Actually, I prefer Mel's version of it all. See how it goes through generations? Because it's foolishness. And it only becomes wisdom when the Holy Spirit, through his power, starts to engrave, literally tattoo this on your heart. The eyes of your heart and the Spirit start to see, I was the fool. <laughs> That's the greatest day when you realise you're the fool. Joke's on you, Simnor. Oh, sorry. Repent. And imagine that, eh? That's like the most indestructible position where no matter what happens, you know, imagine if we, if, if the only desire of our heart was to seek first the kingdom and its righteousness and that everything that happened only centred around this one thing for us, you know? No one would be able to take you out. No one would be able to sidetrack you because you've got the most precious and important thing and nothing else can touch that, eh? You know? So... Cool. Uh, questions. Does anyone have any specific questions related to what we're talking about, particularly about the foolishness of the cross? Um, the, 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 freedom, the freedom that you're talking about, how there's freedom, the freedom that actually comes from um, the mind of Christ and having the disciplines of the mind of Christ that give you, allow you to have the freedom that, that it is. And not, it's not just a freedom, it's actually a freedom because of the mind of Christ that allows you to freedom to do the things that, that you, have, you didn't have the freedom to do. Mm. Sorry. Yeah, it's an, it's an inner freedom, eh? You know? Well, it's the mind of Christ, but they're disciplines of the mind of Christ that allow you to know the things of God and spirit, which is what the freedom, freedom is, is in spirit. And the mind of Christ is, is the mind of, is, is creative, and God's mind is creative, so that freedom is actually a creative, and it, 
that's, that the mind of Christ is, and it's not a, like a freedom of being free, free, but it's a freedom in the, with the mind of Christ, mm. the spirit. It's very different. It's mm. more, more of a, a, a whole minded and a complete. Uh, your mind is sound mind, and you have the mind to, to, to be able to, to live, live out the freedom that it is. Mm. The mind of Christ that you have. Mm. So it, when you talk about freedom, there's a lot more to it than just being freedom. Mm. Yep. And I think that's the key thing that we've, we've been trying to describe, you know, is that, and it says, um, that we're to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, you know, and that this, this is a spiritual, a, a spiritual transformation of our heart and mind that he's talking about, eh? you know, it's like we're describing the difference between the Israelites who are physically set free, but still needed this this work of of transformation on the inside to be made free in, in a way that was much bigger than just um, their life being easy. Eh? You know, I got one question over here, and then to, back to you, Jackie. Um, just going back to what you said before, bro. Um, you said about how some people were chosen for wrath, and some people were chosen not for wrath. Um, yeah, I'd just be cool to hear you elaborate on what you think that means because that's one that I've. I want to see the love of God in that, but I just that sounds like real cruel to me. Like destining some people for eternal torture, punishment, lake of fire. I don't understand that, man. Like, I trust God with it. Um, my mind's not God's. Like, He knows better than me. Um. And it also says that it's his will for none to perish, you know. So, like, um, I know that's his permissive will, you know. Like, that's him not wanting anyone to perish. And it also says that God died for all the sins of the world. That they may, like, you know, everyone's got the chance to turn to him because he died for the people that aren't even going to turn to him yet. Um, So there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that just kind of, like... Some would say it contradicts each other, but I know it doesn't because God, God's wisdom's above man's. Um, so, yeah, bro, what do you think about that? Like him not wanting any to perish and dying for everyone's sin, but then also saying, I've destined these people for wrath, and their wrath will still bring him glory. That's a, and that's, that's the thing. See, it's like... Can't understand. Well, you, you can't understand that in your natural mind. So where do you go to get his knowledge on that him and he's the only one that can make sense logic of those opposing passages and so for me to answer it it, it, it's really actually go seek the spirit do you know because you've got and even says in Hebrews they were prepared beforehand because before the foundations of the earth it was already sorted so all of our names were written in the book of life before they even were You try and get your head around that. No, your head will hurt. You've got to get your spirit around that. That's why the Holy Spirit must be your teacher and not Sam, Greg, whoever, because only the spirit can bring the revelation. Because in the mystery of God, which that is a little bit, isn't it? And he is a mystery himself. We can get derailed because it's like, well, that's not fear. Uh, are, are you now telling the creator of the universe what's fear and what's not? And <laughs> see, hold on, hold on. And, and all of a sudden it's like, what side of that is God? Because it's love. 
But do I know love? Or do I only have my version of love? What I think love is, or this much of him when he's this big. Because we, he says he is love. I love what you said. You said you trust him even in what you don't understand. And that's what we need to. Because we need to know him enough to trust him in the mystery of what we don't know and then ask him to bring us into his life and his view on it all. So now I can continue to know him more because some things aren't as clear as what we might want them to be so we can control it. I also think there's like there's a danger sometimes in reading these verses that can potentially seem harsh and trying to understand them in your natural mind. And because of the, the Adam nature that we're born into, every single time we'll take a verse like that and we'll go down a dark alleyway. And in not having revelation, we'll write ourselves out of the promises of God as opposed to seeing something like that and trusting and knowing his absolute and total goodness and knowing that his love is bigger than, his love for us is bigger than the love that we have naturally for him or for other people, you know. And so that's why I think revelation is so absolutely essential because it brings to light God, like what, what this scripture means from God's perspective, you know, it says that, that as far as what is it, as far as the heavens are from the earth, so my thoughts are from your thoughts, you know. And I thought so, so I think it's so essential if there's something like there's a verse like that or a passage that that instantly brings condemnation. I think we have to ask, why is that? And to seek him for revelation on what is he actually saying when that scripture is presented. It doesn't mean that it's not firm or that there's not something important in it. It's just that we need his view on it and not our own view that could come from hurt or brokenness or anything that you know we're interpreting it through. You know, this is good because this is this this is what we're talking about. So this is it being outworked right now. Um, and in 1 Corinthians, now he says this. I'll just read these words because it's just in what we're looking at. Um, this is in 1 Corinthians one twenty one. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. It's like you can't come into this through our understanding. Full stop. You know, it also says in Thessalonians, God's going to send a deluding influence so they can't actually receive the truth. Sucks of you, those guys. But why? Because they rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected. But I thought you were offering this lifetime all the time. Well, yeah, but no. And what this does, and this is what I hope it does tonight, is it doesn't derail you, but it has you on your face seeking. That is the purpose of this whole thing, is to get us seeking the one who can reveal, not even just camping on a a side, because that's what we do, and that's what's caused division again. You get people camp on this side of the river, and you get the church who camp on that side of the river, and they throw stones at one another, and they have different opposing views, and they're vehemently different, and we're supposed to be love, walking in oneness, and yet a world looks and sees people throwing rocks. At one another. Looks a little bit like the Sanhedrin. Stoning people. Rather than going, actually, do we have a humility in us which is greater than needing to be right? Okay. 
I need to be right. For, for me to walk with Sam, I need, he needs to come to my point of view. Why? Why can't we walk together with difference, knowing if we walk it out with humility and spirit, the Holy Spirit will reveal what is of him. And you know, we both might be wrong. And maybe Sam's right and I'm wrong. And as we love one another, we'll come into oneness. But if it's about right and wrong and we need to prove one another, we're never going to go anywhere. So then we're divided. And this is what's so sad because you see it all the time. Because man needs to be right. Well, guess what? And true revelation of this stuff, true love will enable you to walk with others and be there and not walk away from others, even when others don't agree with you. You can, you can walk with they may not be able to walk with you, but you can walk with them because you've got the substance in you called love that enables you to walk with them and not be proven right or wrong. Even to be ridiculed, lied about, spoken wrongly. What's in you trumps that because you're more interested in maintaining spiritual oneness because you realise uh, Jesus' prayer in John 17 and you've got a wisdom in you that enables you to do that. Because I'm playing my part of the covenant. My brother might not, but I'm going to play my part. Mm. See, and that's what we all get to play. We all get to play a part in the covenant. Mm. Yep. It's essential we play our part. Mm. So it's thanks, Ethan. That's awesome. Mm. That was very cool. And I think you can both, you know, like in, in that, for, for both people, you know, you can be right and correct in what you're saying and be wrong in your character and your conduct and and live outside of righteousness, you know? And so to me it's like it's Christ likeness that's being formed as, as Greg's describing of walking together in discipleship. If the ultimate aim is being right, then people you can fight each other to the death to prove your point, you know. But if the ultimate aim is righteousness, then ultimately that whole process facilitates not correct learning but spiritual transformation to be conformed into his image. It's a completely different perspective on on why we would gather and dialogue and discuss. Jackie. Um, So my question's on the same topic as Ethan's about the wrath. Um, And I'm just going to say it really honestly and vulnerably. In moments of weakness... I've thought when I've struggled and felt like I wasn't getting revelation about something, I've thought, what if I'm one of those? <laughs> and and I guess that's kind of my question, is if we're talking about the fact that some are chosen and some aren't, how do you know? <laughs> you know, like how can we sit here and, and know? Like I feel like I know, but I've probably in the last few months have had moments that I've never had before when you know, some really challenging stuff is being dialogued that I've gone, well, hang on a minute. If I'm not getting my head around stuff, yeah. if I'm not getting revelation about stuff, am I, is there a chance I'm on the out and I don't know it? <laughs> what if, yeah. but, but what if the opposite's true? What if you're chosen for mercy and recipient of the promise? Like, to me, the, the question is, like, we're... I say, like, it's so easy. I, I this, this is probably, I said, uh, this is my personal, this is my personal opinion. I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily um, the view of everyone here, but when 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 those questions come up, uh, to me, the, the 
the big issue is why do we immediately jump to I'm chosen for wrath and not chosen for mercy? What is it in us that our view of God would automatically make us think that we're missed out, forsaken, cast off, put aside? Do you see what I'm saying? You know, and maybe it's that maybe it's that very thing in us. To me, that's the Adam. That's the Adam nature, and actually, we need to. to to let go of that view of God and receive revelation of him as a father and his mercy and his grace and his kindness and his goodness towards us that will actually set us free from that kind of mentality that keeps us asking whether we are, you know, chosen and his. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. 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 It's two different things. Okay. So um, it's very clear do you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for your sins, rose again, and saved you? Okay. You're sorted. Okay. So now it's about your, your mind. <laughs> it's now it's about <laughs> your mind. Everyone is just breathing a sigh of relief. You know? <laughs> um, now it's about the mind or your, your entire being being transformed, renewed into who you've been predestined to be and who you were chosen to be. And that's a lifetime journey. Okay. So ultimately, it's, it's just we, we, all we're to be worried about is ourselves, meaning I'm not even going to worry about Luke. There's enough <laughs> for me to God to do. So I know I'm his son. I know the conviction that I had. You know, yes, I believe that. I'm, that may be all I have. You know, so that's it. But I know that I know that I know. Then I've been chosen for mercy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we just Sorry. capture it? <laughs> In that, are the people that they're talking about that that God's talking about? Yeah. People who are like, no, you know, and vehemently go the other way. It's those like, is it? Is it that, and are they born with that because they were not predestined, and so that will they will always walk against God? Is that, or well, we don't know? I mean, you know, like it is quite clear that that the Israel there were there were certain Israelites that were never going to choose God. They will always be blinded. They will see and never see. They will hear and never hear, and they were never going to know Him. So that's quite clear from Scripture. I believe it's the same for Gentiles too. Um, it's this tension again of God. God accepts; He doesn't reject. We reject Him. Um, he knows the choices we're all going to make before we make them. So we still have choice. He just knows your choice. But I, I personally believe scripturally, some people are born without a. You know, they're going to be experienced for wrath. So Pharaoh. Um, his his aunt was to show God's power, and that's why he was given life. And it comes down to this place of, it starts to really challenge who you've made God to be. Yeah. And has it come from revelation, or has it come from Sunday school, you reading the Bible, what you think, what mum and dad said, because it all needed to be a nice little package message, rather than the God who is, who actually, he's mysterious, he's unknown, but can be known. And so you've got to grapple and wrestle like Jacob did and actually really wrestle with this stuff because it's like, you know, the classic is this, is like darkness. Who made that? You know, it's like, and so that can take us down dark pathways, especially if you've been influenced 
by that. And certainly if you've been affected by people's flesh, are you saying God created evil? Yeah. The serpent was the most craftiest in the garden that God had made. But he's also got a bigger plan. Now, did he create Lucifer evil? No. Did he know Lucifer was going to fall? Yes. So then why did he create him? Because his plan is being outworked. Why does he give you a gift in an immature state, knowing you can blow yourself up and everyone else around you up? Because he's God. And he believes you're going to fall in love with him and do it his way. See, he believes more in us than we believe in us. That's been my greatest question. God, why do you give gifts to immature children who beat each other up with them, build their own lives upon them, and then turn around and give you the finger? Because I can. What sort of an answer is that? (laughs) My answer. And this is where it takes you to some of these passages where you realise who is the clay to say to the moulder, you got it wrong. Because the clay doesn't even exist unless the moulder brings him into his story. And it's the great humbling thing. This humbles you and positions you in spirit-led humility to go, oh, Fear of the Lord starts to come into you in a healthy way, and now you're positioned to hear. It's the beauty of what it does. It brings you to repentance, which then brings godly sorrow, which brings life. And now you're actually even more willing to go there on those, some of those things. You might have gone, don't go there, man. You know, But it's still mysterious, and some, some are answers. But... Um, yeah, my personal conviction is that there are some born for wrath, some born for mercy. I'm not going to try and figure out who all that is. I'm just knowing that I'm born for mercy. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. I will lay my life down in view of God's mercy, and I will allow him to go to work and build me on the inside so I can actually come into the fullness of why I was chosen for mercy and not wrath. Because I think it's a crying shame to not discover that, to be discovered for mercy when people are chosen for wrath and for us not to come into why we were given mercy and not yeah, on that page. Okay. Yeah. I think that's, that's even more criminal than the other. I guess that's what we're talking about. So it's like we've got to get his mind on what he means, not just our understanding when we read it and go, well, that's what that means. Mm-hmm. Who says that's what that means? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's a tricky, because we're, re- we're reading English and the word is spiritual, remember? Yes. It's not Greek. It's not um, Hebrew, it's not English, it's not Afrikaans, it's not natural. The only one that can reveal his spiritual word is himself. So Paul is writing from revelation through a a natural language. We can't go, right, I'm going to try and understand the natural language. That's what happened last week, hate. The natural went, hate? He was not talking hate. He was using an English word to describe a spiritual word. And you have to hear the spiritual word because everything that was said was right. But if we hear it wrong through the wisdom of the world, it creates what? Division against, not oneness, see? And that's our challenge. So it's his spiritual word, not what you're literally physically reading. It's, this, is, this is a means towards the end. Do we understand that? So you search the scriptures, religious people, because you think in the scriptures you're going to find eternal life, but you're unwilling to come to the one of eternal life, who is eternal life, who speaks words of spirit and life. So they rejected 
the very words that were spirit and life, even though they search these things. Now, don't tell me that's, that's not foolishness. He's standing right in front of you, the one you've waited for, the one you've heard about through the Torah, and he turns up and you reject him. Why? Because he doesn't come the way you think he comes. And that's what we can do, even though we've actually been chosen for mercy and we receive him, he can come and he goes, you know what, Luke, this mindset, it's holding you back. This idol that you have in your life called your wife is holding you back from our relationship. Will you let me, in view of my mercy, God's mercy, will you lay your life down as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God? This is your spiritual act of worship. Get on the altar. And will you let me go to work with my sword and crucify your flesh, but then raise you up off the altar that you can live differently now in my relationship with me and your wife and your two children that are coming? Now that's freedom. You get free from the people you're actually bound to. Um, Just coming back to the scriptures in 1 Corinthians that I've looked at, why do you think it is that when we hear the wisdom talked about in the scripture that we think of humankind, we don't think me as in an individual? So, oh. so, do you mean why? Why do we always see it as someone else and not ourselves? Flesh. <laughs> it's um, that's just one of the methods of deflecting the very thing that's come to heal, you know. Um. And it's part of the nature, the Adam nature, isn't it? You know, I mean, he did it. <laughs> she gave me it. You know, and it, 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 yeah, it's just easier to point the finger than to, to receive in. Um, and therein lies the lesson. It's like you know, like the flesh is demonic, yeah. And it's not that we have demons, okay? But just go with me on this. What happened when someone who had a demon, when Christ turned up and stood in front in front of someone who had a demon, what was happening? The demon wants what? Oh, great! Jesus is on the scene. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! No, what's going on? It's eh, isn't it? It's like don't kill us, don't throw us into there. The thing starts to manifest. Well, that's what happens to your flesh. Because your flesh is demonic, okay? So you're always going to try and put it... It's always about Rodney, mate. Rodney's got the issue, not me. It's natural wisdom. (laughs) Case in point. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. No, you're not. (laughs) So that's natural wisdom. Natural wisdom is to accuse, and that's what Sandra was saying, it's to shift it, to justify it, to ignore it, to hide from it, because it knows it's going to get nailed. And that's it's nailed to the cross. He was nailed to the cross. So our flesh needs to get nailed 
to the word of God, this instrument that killed him but brought, you know, and then the father brings him to life. And so that's why our natural thing is it's you did it. Mm. That's right. I I thought with kids, eh? Lipstick all over the face. Who did this? She did it. It's like in our house, and there's Lily with lipstick all over her face. (laughs) Who did that? It was Maddie. (laughs) Holding the thing, you know? It's like, yeah. And I think it can be so easy to think of the demonic as being some sort of big, like, manifestation of this, like, demon coming out. But I think to me, you know, the, the demonic act, like, if we think about what's God's ultimate intention for us as the body of Christ, it's that we'd be conformed to his image, you know? And so this, this demonic thing that's going on, if, if, you're, if you're manifesting someone else as the issue, what what you do by doing that is you, you deflect an opportunity for the cross to go to work in you and actually to bring you into the fullness of God's eternal plan and purpose for you, which is your transformation. Um, and so I think, to me, that's why, you know, that's why the flesh is demonic because it, it steers you away from actually what it is that God wants to do in transforming you, you know? Well, you know when he, um, so Peter gets up in his face. Okay, what, so what, what did Jesus say to Peter? I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Peter jumps right in his face and rebukes the Lord. And then what does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me who? Satan, because you're not setting your interests on me, but on you. You're all about yourself because you're realising what's happening now isn't going with your plan. You thought, I'm coming to rescue us all from the Romans. Now you're telling me you're going to die? Eh-eh, that ain't happening. Because that's not in accordance with the way I think this is going down. And that's why they all missed them. Okay? So then the wisdom coming out of Peter is demonic. He doesn't have a demon. What he's saying is your wisdom, your thinking right now is of the demonic realm. It's anti-Christ. It's anti-spirit. It's flesh. So flesh is demonic. Everything fleshly is demonic. It's, it's not, you don't, we don't have a demon, but when you live from the flesh, that's why it says the flesh profits you what? Nothing. It's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits you nothing. So then get behind me because your thinking is anti. So you don't want to be a stumbling block to Christ, do you? Did he not say you're a stumbling block to me? So when we live accordingly to this demonic flesh, James 3, it says it there, then you're a stumbling block to Christ. Now Christ is loving us. Thank you, Lord. His love is covering this wisdom that's not his. But it needs to change if we want to come into life. He will love us while we live that our whole lives, but we're the one restricting us from coming into life while we live like that. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It means you're actually going to sabotage your own walk and your own reality of how you've been called to live. And, and you see, when Peter's doing that, I mean, you could look at it from another point of view and say, well, what he was saying was really loving. I don't want you to die. Do you know what I mean? So in the natural wisdom, that would seem like a very loving thing to do, mm. that he said. And that, that sort of exposes the reality of our understanding and how, 
how it's not a great leader at all. In fact, it, it will lead us away from the truth, not into the truth. Um, yeah. I'll just read the, the verse that Greg was referencing in James because I think it, it, it's real clear and helps to paint this picture. You know, see, the title is Wisdom from Above. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behaviour, his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Interesting, eh? You know, that he says, um, you know, if you're wise and understanding, show it by your good behaviour, you know? And goes on to say that if you've got jealousy, selfish ambition, anything like that in your heart, he says, this is, this is demonic wisdom that's operating in you. Crazy, eh? It, it, to me, this, is, this verse clearly shows the, the difference between natural wisdom and heavenly wisdom, you know? And the difference that James is describing, it's not about how much you intellectually know or understand. He's saying it's actually demonstrated by, and here it, the, it uses the word behavior, by the demonstration of your life, eh? You know? Which means you can demonstrate two types of wisdom, yeah? Demonic wisdom or kingdom wisdom. See why it's about demonstration? So Peter's demonstrating demonic wisdom. Selfishness is demonic wisdom. To think of ourselves and to be living for ourselves is demonic wisdom. When this says you're supposed to be loving others more, see, it's demonic. Well, how, how, how do, you know, Paul said it, this suit that I'm in, wretched man that I am, this thing that I want to do, I can't do, everything I don't want to do, I'm found doing, at the same time, the man had a power in him that enabled him to live this life of faith, even though he's still wrestling with this flesh suit that he's in. So just because we're living a type of way that may not be godly doesn't mean we can't come into more and more and more. And as we come into more and more and more, we we live less this other thing because of what we're receiving which is this wisdom which ultimately is Christ it's not it's not sort of this knowledge I have in the sense of oh let me tell you about Christ it's Jesus himself the wisdom of God the power of God that it says there 1 Corinthians one twenty four, living in me coming out of me through demonstration because wisdom is made right vindicated by her children see it's wisdom is made right Righteousness, it's a life lived out by her children. She proves. So if I'm saying I'm a child of God, God is wisdom, and I'm his child, then my life should be the demonstration of him because I'm a child of God. So as a son, as a son, as the son lived, I'm called to walk in the manner the son lived, which is evidence of my sonship, isn't it? And as I grow and I grow and I grow, the gap between what I say and what I do is beginning less and less and less to the point where hopefully I'm being perfected where the gap is just a mill. 
be perfect like my heavenly Father's perfect because it's fully possible because I enter into this wisdom. I surrender my life. I allow my life to be laid down. I say, build me. And all of a sudden he goes, okay, been waiting for that. And then he starts to go to work. And then it becomes how much do you want? How thirsty are you? How hungry are you? God said to me during this during the week, you know, there's a lot of things we talk about. Oh, I'm seeking the Lord. I'm seeking the Lord. I want more. I want more. I want more. And it sounds really spiritual. But you know, it can just be fleshly made up stuff because it says he's the rewarder of those who seek him. So there's a genuine seeking that gets rewarded with revelation. So he is desperate to pour out revelation upon revelation upon revelation and be the teacher of the church. If that's matched with a true seeking and a hunger and a thirst because he sees the heart, then we will get revelation from our seeking. But we can just have this painted up fleshly thing that sounds really good, sing songs about seeking, but never really seek. Because we're never really getting anything. But he says, if you truly seek me, I'm a rewarder of those. And so where that's positioned in Hebrews is then when you see Noah, who what happens to Noah? He gets shown the unseen, and because of what he's seeing, he builds an ark. So through seeking, you get to see the unseen. You get to live in this other wisdom, this realm that now becomes your norm. And you're accessing food, mana, in another sphere, but it's on earth. But it's a spiritual dimension. You know, and that's, we've used all these analogies about talking about burgers and donuts and phones. And, you know, it's like going back 100 years and you take one of these with you and you describe it to everybody. And they're like, what are you talking about? This phone? What are you? But you have access and resource to things that no one else does. And you live in accordance to the resource and the access of where you're getting your mana from, which enables you to not be an earthling anymore, living from demonic wisdom, but a heavenly being, an ambassador living on earth. And you become very different. You make very different choices and your entire priorities are completely different for earthlings. You are being set apart, taken out of Egypt into the promised land. Who's the promised land? And is every promise in Christ? Yes and amen. Is every mystery hidden in Christ? He is the unseen no one, isn't he? And so he is this wisdom. But it comes at the relinquishing of your very life. I find that there's a lot goes on with being conformed to this world. That there's a lot um, you understand that, that like how desperate it can be when, when that has the power in your life to do that and when the conforming does have power to it and it has because it has power. Yep. So there's a lot of conforming going on to how this world yeah. is. Because there's a power, isn't it? So there's two powers. Powers of the kingdom, powers of the world. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, make sure your faith, which is not this wishful thinking, hoping I'm getting by, make sure your knowing of the unseen realm and everything in the unseen realm rests on the Father's power, not man's wisdom. Cleverness of speech. Don't let it rest on man's ability to understand the Hebrew and the Greek and to tell you all the nice scriptures and what they mean. Don't let it rest on that. That's man's wisdom. That won't get your faith anywhere. How are you supposed to overcome the world, the demonic, and you? Through faith. 
which needs to rest on God's power, not on man's wisdom, not on man's logic, not on man's reason, on revelation. So he's warning us in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 5, go study it. Then he says this, the mature hear the words that come from this wisdom because it comes from the power of the Holy Spirit, not man's wisdom. Um, just before we wrap up for the evening, does, does anyone have anything that they want to ask in terms of clarifying anything that they've heard tonight or things that they've left still a bit confused over or, or things that they just want to unpack a little bit more? I've been battling with all night. So you've got the wisdom that comes from Christ because you've yielded to him and you've got a new perspective on life. Okay? But then there are people who aren't Christians who also have wisdom and it's not always demonic. So how do you explain that? Good question. I think to me the like the the big thing is when you know like this verse that we read in James what the what wisdom actually is from God's perspective you know that you know here we see that that wisdom is not intellectual understanding wisdom is like Greg said is is vindicated by her children or by her deeds wisdom is the demonstration of Christ's life and Christ's nature through the church and so so there's people in the world can be very intelligent, they can be nice people, but but they can't demonstrate Christ's likeness because they haven't been through the process that we've been describing, which is the cross, you know, of letting go of their own life and receiving this new resurrected life on the inside, the power of God on the inside. So I've got, there's lots of people in my life, family members who, who aren't Christians, but they're lovely people. So, you know, people in the world can have a, a a form of wisdom it's just a, it's just or a form of godliness on the outside they can be nice people they can know a lot about even a lot about scripture but the wisdom that we're talking about is is a it's a it's a heavenly wisdom and it comes through the demonstration of Christ's likeness and power within us as opposed to um natural ability, natural logic, natural reasoning. I think um, another thing is the verse 21 out of 1 Corinthians 1, it, which clearly says what the wisdom is is to produce. Because um, it says, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. So actually that it is the crux of this wisdom, is that we would come to know him. Not that we would come to know a solution to a particular problem we're going through, which is the way we think of wisdom, but it's to come to know him. And that's, I think, in, in essence, um, why we're talking, you know, we've been dialoguing about this you know, these spiritual words, you know, in the sense that we're, we're talking about the word that lies behind the word. Like the example that we've used, you know, you can hear the word hate, but actually hate, the way that he's describing hate might be different to the way that you might have heard that word used before, you know. And so you need to hear what lies behind the word. So when we use the word wisdom, 
we're not talking about natural intellect, we're talking about the wisdom that's from above. That, you know. We're not talking about a problem-solving wisdom. Yeah. There's a wisdom that he he gives and a word that comes from above that is going to lead us into oneness with God, that we would come to know him. And that's he he's gunning for the eternal purpose. And all of these other things are not the eternal purpose. They're just things that happen in our life. But there is a big picture that needs to be revealed in us because we haven't got... A, an absolute show, no matter how intelligent we are, of figuring that one out. It's the Holy Spirit who does, does yeah. the work. Because yeah. I think a, a good question is, you know, what's your f- first place you go to when you hear wisdom? And that'll give you a good indicator whether you've got His mind. So when you hear wisdom. And you don't have to answer, but where do you go? Like, what's the first thought that pops into your head? You know, and, and, and so this is some of the dynamics, you know, because it says that he is wisdom. So is that where you went? Or do you go to knowledge? You go to something I know that makes me live, you know, this thing, or is it a person? And the challenge is, is, is within the dynamics of all this, you know, you can live out principles but not know the person. And that's why non-Christians can live out principles. The principles, they take the principles, we take the principles in the church and we apply a principle but we don't know the person. And it's the person that brings the life that enables you to be able to live out this reality. And so we've got to keep coming back to oneness this, this one, this position of one, which once again only the Holy Spirit can bring you into. Otherwise you start, you start cutting him up and now I've got to try. And it's like, okay, now I've got to understand joy. Then I've got to understand peace. Then I've got to come into love. Oh man, this is a lot to come into. He goes, now let me simplify it. Let's put it onto one package. His name is Jesus Christ. Get to know him and you'll have all those things. And then you just live from the simplicity. And that's why Paul warned us. Well, he warned the Corinthians, but he warns us. He says, as Eve was deceived and led astray here, see, reason, logic, rationale, that you've been led astray in your minds from the simplicity and the purity of knowing the person. You guys got to just keep coming back to the person. Reveal yourself, reveal yourself, reveal yourself. Write it on my heart so I can live it out. Just keep it simple. Um, being brothers is, a simple, uh, is keeping it simple, like he's the firstborn among brothers. So if we see him as a brother, as a brother, then we can. If we know him as a brother, then we can know one another as brothers. Because the, the relationship is actually in him to know one another as brothers. Yeah. Cool. All right. I think that might be us for the night. But thanks, guys, for. Um, for being involved, you know, I think it's been it's been awesome, eh? It feels like we've just talked for two hours straight, but you know, 
Um, it's been awesome to have the questions and, and all that sort of thing. So thank you. <laughs> have a good week.